It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 531 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold my in depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Joining me on the show for the first time today is Carl Sakas. Carl's the founder and CEO of Sakas and Company, a digital agency based in Raleigh. He's also the author of a couple books, including his latest, Made to Lead. And today we're going to talk about Carl's suggestions for how to really build trust to win new customer business. If you'd like to see the show notes for today's episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 531. We provide a time-stamped breakdown of this and all conversations on Accelerate. Make sure you check it out there. And, uh, you know, today's a Saturday. I brought this up last week for the first time. You know, there's no real hurry to listen to the show today. If you're not working, you don't have to go to the gym so early as you normally do. So maybe take a second before you go any further. Go to iTunes or wherever you listen to the show and leave a review for us. We'd really appreciate it. My team would really appreciate it. They work hard to put the show on for you and love some feedback about what we could all do to make this an even better more valuable investment of your time. So hit pause, go to iTunes, subscribe, leave your quick review, then come right back. We'll be waiting for you. And let's jump right into it here with Carl. Carl Sakas, welcome to Accelerate. Great to be here. Hey, great to have you here. So I always lead off interviews with a standard question. This is a, it's almost like a research project for me. I'm asking everybody the same question. We've done this before and we compile it into a report that we'll publish a little bit later. So the question is, in your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? For sure, the answer is going to vary by by person. But I think ultimately, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of noise. How do you stand out and make sure that your services or products are getting in front of the right people? So one suggestion, how do you stand out? How do you make yourself stand out? Because I, I think this is absolutely the key. I, I People follow me, read my books, know... Hey, it's how you sell as much as what you sell. So how do you how do you make yourself stand out and how you sell your product or service? Specialize as much as you can. It's not always an option, but you know, when it comes to say uh, you know, say you need to go to the doctor, you need some sort of a heart operation, you know, you're not going to go to a general surgeon, you want a cardiac surgeon. <laughs> you would and think, not right? just uh, you would think so. And and you know, assuming your insurance covers it, you want to go to the cardiac surgeon who's done mm. that exact same procedure five hundred times and hasn't killed anyone. Yeah, I think uh, you almost quoted from a blog article I wrote a few a few years ago to that uh, exact same thing as is yeah, you know, when you have pain, do you want to go see a generalist or a specialist? And exactly. you want to see a specialist. And and it's amazing how many people sort of pushed back on that whole, no, whole notion that salespeople need to be specialists, they need to have be experts in their customers' business and their own products and services they sell and how the products and services they sell provide value to companies like the people you're selling to. And, I, you know, there's the whole notion that still sort of persists about, you know, being general, you know, all-around good athletes as a salesperson as opposed to a specialist. I, I mean, you, you can look at this for most services. You know, let, let's say you sell managed IT services. You know, you're focused on large companies trying to get your foot in the door and provide all of their IT services. If you are, say, a specialist in managed IT for manufacturing firms, mm-hmm. 
your sales conversations are a lot easier. You know, if they're like, well, tell me about another manufacturing firm that you've worked with. So, well, that that's all I work with. You know, here, here are a few examples. They were having this or that problem, this or that on the production line, and we help them sort that out, blah, blah, blah. That's a lot better than saying, well, we haven't worked with a manufacturing firm, but we worked with a law firm and and then try to find some way to make that applicable to the manufacturing firm. The sales process is easier. The quoting process is often easier because you're not doing it for the first time. Uh, I, I am a fan of specializing. Yeah, well, I think one of the benefits you really get out of specialization is that it frees you up to think about the customer. You know, to the Definitely. extent the extent that you you're not f- comfortable with your knowledge about the buyers you're selling to, or you're not comfortable with your knowledge about the product or service that you're representing, then when you're in front of the customer, you're thinking about that. You're thinking about what you don't know more so than how you can help them. I recently did a talk on client service at a professional services client experience conference. And most of my talks are at marketing conferences, advertising associations, things like that. And the organizer had asked me to, to come in and, and share my standard client service talk, which is called Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger, How to Satisfy <laughs> Your Yes, How to Satisfy Your Most Demanding Clients. Right. And I did a survey beforehand of people in the audience, and it was uh, it was skewed primarily toward AEC, architecture, engineering, and construction. There were some law firms, there were some accounting firms, and I had adjusted the advice to make it applicable to anyone. You know, you, you have difficult clients, no matter the industry exactly but you know ultimately as a as an agency consultant i'm i'm focused just on agencies typically digitally oriented marketing and creative agencies and so i I was ultimately able to help them answer questions during q a about some of their difficult clients but you know if i were to say well okay i'm going to start doing consulting for architects you know there's that that learning curve that makes it makes it harder, even though a lot of the advice would apply. Uh, whereas in, in contrast on the, say, the digital marketing side, one of my clients had said, I, I previously worked with this coach. He was good in accountability, but he didn't really know the industry. I had to keep explaining the difference between SEO and PPC to mm. him. And I was like, okay, yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I can help you with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, so let's go back to the title of the article that you wrote, which was... It's a big topic here on the show is trust, you know, how to build trust. And so define what you mean by trust. I mean, it's, we think we know, but I think people have different definitions. In particular, from a, a sales perspective, do your clients trust that you can solve their problem, whatever their problem may be? Are you the right firm to do it? Fairly straightforward. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 no, it's easier said than done, right? But I, but I think that's really you've hit it sort of right on the head. Is is that when people hear trust, they tend to think more sort of squishy. You know, we've got this personal level of trust, and while undoubtedly, yeah, that that can factor in, right? Because because people have an instinct, a perception of someone else that that leads to that that uh, perception of trust. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a trust that you can perform on what you said you're going to do. There's this concept called warmth and competence, 
comes from a book called The Human Brand. And competence is can you get the job done? Warmth is can you make your clients or customers feel special? That it's not just about the money, it's not just a transaction. And oftentimes you can get trust passed along by someone else. For instance, uh, in high school, I needed my wisdom teeth extracted. And my dentist said, based on the details, you know, I shouldn't do it, but here's the oral surgeon I recommend. Mm -hmm. And so referred me to the oral surgeon. I, I didn't really do any checking on the guy. Uh, and, and I will say that I, I did a poorly timed trust-related question. Uh, right before I went under the general anesthesia. Have you done this I, before? I, it occurred to me to ask, how long have you been doing this? He he seemed a little offended. He's like 20 years. Uh, and that was the last thing I remember. Oh. I, in retrospect, I probably should have asked that earlier. But the key thing is I trusted my dentist. He did a good job. I figured that if he recommended an oral surgeon, the oral surgeon would also do a good job. And, and he did. I, I had no complications. Well, one thing, you brought up this concept of warmth and competence, and other people have phrased, rephrased that, I guess, uh, and I think Amy Cuddy in her book Presence talks about this with trust and competence. You know, that people really want to know two things about somebody when they, they meet them is can they trust them and, and are they competent in the sense can they do what they say they're going to do. And But interestingly, that she says, even though most people think that, that the trust follows the competence, that actually the trust precedes the competence. And so we have this this uh, challenge is working with customers to say, yeah, we we need to build a level of trust before they'll even invest their time to learn whether we're competent enough to do what we say we can. Uh, exactly. Well, I believe Amy Cuddy worked with Susan Fisk, who's one of the co-authors of the the book, The Human Brand, mm -hmm. uh, to to dig into that a bit more. So, how do you build that that trust first in your mind? I mean, how do you, what's your experience showed in terms of how you build that that trust before? You can even prove whether you can do the job or not. Uh, going back to specialization, it starts by specializing. I, I had a sales call earlier today with the general manager for an agency in Canada. And one of the comments was, you know, I've been following your, your content for a long time. And, you know, I like what you have to say. And it seems to speak to the problems we're trying to solve. You know, ultimately, that sales conversation was not about if they should hire me. It was really just about the details of what that would look like. Mm -hmm. So for salespeople, though, who don't necessarily have platforms like you have, mm -hmm. and and there's some debate, actually, a guest I just spoke to <laughs> interview prior to you, is we were talking about, excuse me, this idea of personal branding for individual B2B salespeople and so on. Is, but how, how do you, um, yeah, how do you sort of brand yourself so that first perception is strong enough, and maybe it's the questions you ask, but I'm just sort of curious what you find as sort of the keys. One way is to drop in references to doing previous similar work in casual conversation. You know, for instance, I, I made the reference to the sales call of the client in Canada. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, now you know that I have clients outside the U.S., and in fact, at this point, it's clients in 27 countries. So if you want someone who has a broad range of experience, great, I, I have that to offer. Uh, or you could tell about helping people through similar situations. You know, someone will say, um, you know, I, I need help sorting things out with, uh, you know, an, an office move. Let's say you're, you're doing B2B sales focused on commercial moving. Someone reaches out, uh, instead of 
the first question you ask is, you know, what's your budget? I mean, you do want to get a sense of that. Uh, you know, you could say, oh, you know, I, I see that you were an accounting firm. You know, I, I was recently helping an accounting firm move earlier this month. Uh, and one of the big challenges they had was they were still paper-based. We had this whole solution set up to make sure that they didn't lose a single file. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You could probably find a more succinct way to say that. <laughs> but, you know, ultimately, if, uh, you know, and I was just making that that example up right there. But, you know, for instance, say you're an accounting firm and you, you haven't computerized everything. Uh, knowing that the moving company has experience not losing extremely valuable boxes, that's a plus. Yeah, well, I think you, you referenced this in, in your article, and it's sort of, I think, sort of part of the point is, You'd said, "Hey, one key thing, and I think salespeople don't don't do this enough." Is you said share a summary of your onboarding process and your client service approach. Yes, up front, and I think that's a really a critical thing that that people should think about doing more frequently. You know, oftentimes we hear this expression in in businesses: start with the end in mind. And when you think about it, if you put yourself in the customer's shoes. I've always found one of the biggest ways to build trust is to give them an idea of what it'd be like to work with you over an extended period of time, right? What's their customer experience going to be like, not just in the buying process, but as a user, as a client? And going through, as you suggested, onboarding process, what the client service approach is, your culture around client service, maybe your customer obsession, if you will, if you have that as, as part of your culture, it's a great pre-sales tool. People are scared or, or at least uneasy, you know, if they've hired someone to provide your service or, or buying your products before, you know, maybe it didn't go smoothly. Uh, if it if they did before, it probably didn't because why are they calling you instead of the previous previous person? Uh, or if it's something they've never done before, they may not know what to expect. I, I see this a lot with my agency clients where ultimately agencies, marketing agencies tend to be selling something fairly intangible. You know, if you're doing a rebranding and mm -hmm. new brand identity, the agency has an idea of what the deliverables might be. You know, maybe it's a logo, maybe it's a style guide, maybe it's certain other artifacts. The client doesn't know if they're going to be happy with the outcome. Well, you're able to head that off from a client service perspective by saying, we have this whole process set up so that you are 100% delighted with what we create. You get X rounds of revisions to help fine-tune so it's exactly what you want. If you want to add more revisions, always welcome to do that. We can discuss that when the time comes. But based on our experience working with firms like you and all of that about their circumstances, here's what we recommend. Yeah, I I'll just leave people. I think a great way to sort of think about that and call that back to mind is start with the end in mind. You know, with your clients, where do they want to be? And it's not just what's the value they're going to be receiving from your product or service at that point, but what was the process to get there? Because that oftentimes is, is as critical as the value they're getting out of the out of it at the end. And yeah, share with them what that experience is going to be like. It's it's a great a great sales tip. Uh, we talked a little about social proof before. You talked about you know dropping in references to previous similar work. A couple of things that are sort of interesting. One is, is you said that um, you sort of like to keep those a little bit anonymous sometimes. So when when do you want to actually say who the customer was that you're doing your social proof? And sometimes when do you want to give that sort of general um, general reference story? I would say that depends on your industry. As a business consultant, oftentimes I'm called in when things are going not 
very smoothly. Uh, and so sometimes people don't always want to share. I mean, I you know have plenty of clients who have shared testimonials, but you know sometimes if you were if someone were being fully honest about the testimonial, sometimes it might be. I made a series of terrible financial decisions, and Carl helped me reverse those, and now I'm that not bankrupt. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that, it attributed that that would be an amazing testimonial. Yeah, I, you know, and and I think also, uh, you know, for instance, say you're a divorce attorney, you're probably not going to get tons of testimonials from your clients. I. Uh, you know, it just it's you know it's a traumatic experience mm. for everyone, no matter no matter the outcome of the case. That may be a bit tough. So you know, you might say, uh, you know, one of our clients uh, who is a small business owner and parent of two children. You know, this or that happened. There was infidelity, and here here's how we sorted it out, and here's the outcome they saw. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I was just thinking about that example. Yeah, that's a. Trying to think back, you know, I've seen any TV commercials for family attorneys with, with uh, testimonials. Not that I know of. I, uh, I, I I was in Nevada earlier this month for uh, for a trip, and I noticed in Vegas uh, certainly a lot of lawyer billboards, and and I think my favorite was something like injuredinahotel.com. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is a that is a long tail search term, but you know what? Someone is going to that website. Oh, I'm sure. This is absolutely a case of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Injured in a hotel in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just sort of thinking, I think that we may be surprised how many hits they get. Uh, so along sort of the same lines of what we talked about before, sort of sharing the... Um, the onboarding process is, and this is one that's to me is is a huge one, is meeting deadlines and managing expectations during the sales process. I mean, this yes. is this is the customer's first experience working with you. So if you tell the customer you deliver on something on a certain date, deliver it on that date. Um, yeah, it's not to mean there aren't times that might be delayed, and you have to explain what basically. You need to be bringing your A game every time you're interacting with that prospect. Yeah, I mean, because they're going to assume you're on your best behavior right now. So you're trying to impress them. You're trying to win the deal. If you miss deadline after deadline now, what's it going to be like to work with you once they're a client and they've already paid their deposit and signed the contract? Yeah, and they're thinking that, right? People are very good at projecting based on initial perceptions. And there's a whole science behind how people project based on perceptions. Uh, yeah, study about how you know people meeting people, you know, potential partners, right? Life partners, romantic partners. Uh, you are making up decisions about people within the first 250 milliseconds of meeting them. But part of that sort of uh, precognitive processing that's going on is is hey, they're projecting out what it'd be like to be married to that person. It, you know, it's it's. Uh, I guess people should be scared of that if they're bad at sales or they're selling something that's not going to go well. And if they're confident about what they're selling and they stand behind it, well, they're in good shape. Yeah, well, I mean, it really speaks to the point that, that there is no such thing as an unimportant interaction with a prospect. You, know, mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't say that, well, you know, this one's less important. You know, this is the first time meeting them. It's not important as important as when we do, do the discovery call or when we present a proposal. And it's just absolutely not true. 
And that's where the concept of fast failure comes in. Oftentimes, I'll have clients who are focused on sales for their agency, one of their responsibilities, and they might say, oh, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed with proposals. This is going to take forever to get through. And as I dig in, it turns out they probably shouldn't have said yes to all of the proposals on their plate. You know, in one case, client had five due in the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, well, let's let's take a closer look at these. Turned out one of them, his agency, highly unlikely to get. A couple others were kind of a moderate chance. Only two of them were really a strong fit based on his agency's work. My advice was, and and for some of these, these were competitive situations, said, you know what, let them know you're you're not going to be doing a proposal. Now, the ideal is to do that as soon as possible. If someone's not a fit, say no. You know, that that's the biggest thing to contradict the perception of of salespeople being sleazy. If you say no to an opportunity, you are definitely not sleazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and exactly, because they may be a prospect again in the future. Mm-hmm. And they'll respect you if you didn't waste their time, uh, you know, quoting on something that you weren't a good fit for or they weren't a good fit for your services. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge believer in it. Actually, it's a great time to ask people for a referral. Sure. I, yeah. If, if someone is a better fit. One of the things that I'll get inquiries on are related to people who want to grow extremely fast. And and say, for instance, they're getting one lead a month and their ideal outcome is 100 leads a month. And they want it next month. (laughs) Right. My my favorite example was an agency in California where their their current revenue is about a million dollars a year. And they wanted to double in eight months. So go from one to two million in eight months. And in a year and a half, they wanted to get to $5 million. So to go from one to $5 million in a year and a half. And I said, you know, you really should talk to someone who only does business development as a consultant. You know, typically I'm helping people where they're already growing fast and they're having trouble keeping up. Mm-hmm. If you need to go that that kind of growth, do someone who's only focused on biz dev. And I also caution them that, you know, I, I don't know if anyone could do that. I, I know I can't. But uh, here are a couple people who who might, and they can give you a better idea. And and they ultimately went with one of them. And did they hit it? I, uh, you know, my understanding is they have grown. I don't think they quintupled in size in a year and a half. Yeah, and that that's a red flag, right? I mean, yes. if you're if you're in sales and whether you're selling professional services as Carl is, or if you're you're selling any additional sort of another service or a product. Yeah, and the customer's justification for buying something from you, buying a service from you or a product, is based on an unrealistic forecast or unrealistic expectation. You may be able to get the deal, but you really have to think very seriously about whether it's worth the potential pain to actually have that business. I'm often advising my clients to watch the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and, you know, it's most famous for the always be closing scene with the Alec Baldwin character, which is, you know, which is great. My favorite conversation in the movie, though, is where one of the salespeople comes back and he's like, I got a contract finally. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, turns out who who is it? It's this couple that will sign anything and then never follow through. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the comment was, oh, oh, the so-and-sos, they just like talking to salespeople. Yeah. Or alternatively, as I sketched out, it was people that. Say, yeah, I want to double in, in eight months, as, as you talked about that agency before. It's like, yeah, you're setting yourself up for failure. 
I mean, you could succeed, but not hit their expectations, right? You could grow, you could uh, grow 50% and be a fantastic performance in eight months. Yeah. But if you weren't doubling, then the customer say, yeah, you didn't do what I hired you to do. You're out of here. And then you've wasted a lot of time and opportunity on something that, that ultimately wasn't going to be successful. So that's, and I've seen that too many times in sales is, is the lure of the order is stronger than common sense. I, you know, and I, and we all make those mistakes. I, I advise my clients about this yet three years ago, I, I did it myself where owner of an agency wanted help creating a client onboarding process. And she described what she was doing now at, at her agency. And I said, great. And she mentioned she wanted a world-class client onboarding process. What I found once I got started is that not only was it not world-class, which I assumed currently had no onboarding process. And so I had to reset our expectations to say, we're not going to go from zero to world class. We're going to go from zero to much better. And then you're going to have to keep iterating from here, but it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, and, and ultimately, in, the, in that particular interaction, uh, the, the client confirmed I delivered everything as promised. But, but in her words, she said, but I want more. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Anybody who's been in consulting has probably experienced something similar to that. Yeah, and oftentimes it's an excuse, right? I mean, you could have done a fantastic job, but maybe there's uh, budget reasons, or sometimes the customer is just nuts. I mean, sorry, I hate to say that, but I mean, sometimes they are. I mean, I've had uh, more than one client, not many, but at least two clients that are sort of like that. That seemingly are very, very sane, very rational people. Uh, during the the pre engagement phase, but then, and even when you're setting the expectations, they seem pretty good. And then, yeah, suddenly once you're engaged, their expectations changed. As I tell my clients, it, it's not just your interaction with your prospective clients. You know, you're, you're basically dealing with all of their unresolved childhood issues. Have fun. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that, that I advise, especially if you're in consulting or some sort of services business, actually even almost anything you're selling, is, is when you get the order, is the first thing to do is like within a, a business day is schedule a call with the customer, call back and review the order. And so what I do is, and coach people do and teach people do is, is yeah, you're going you're gonna to call back, you're going to have a call. Or you can meet in person, either one, depending you know, if you're a local business. Mm-hmm. And go through the whole process again. Hey, we just want to review you know, what it is you just ordered. Because first off, if your customer has talked to multiple agencies or multiple consultants or multiple vendors before making a decision, they're going to be confused as to what they actually bought. Because right. what people do is they take the best features of everything they've, everybody they've spoken to and they sort of conflate those into one, one offering. And so in order to make sure you don't get off on a bad foot is you need to really reset their expectations. So again, what I coach and teach and, and have done myself is you have the call, you start back, okay, this is what your requirements were when we started our conversations. This is what you asked us to bid on. This is why, this is what you purchased. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're going to deliver and why and when, excuse me, not why and when. This is what we're going to deliver and when. And it's a very simple conversation. It sort of takes the customer back through the whole logic about why they're doing business with you again and resets expectations in terms of what's going to be delivered when and the fact they signed off on it. And simple conversation and 
you're going to start your customer relationships on a much better footing than you would if you don't do it. It's a great idea. I mean, everyone should be doing it. And, you know, I think the other piece related to that is who should be in the room when you review it. I was once involved in a $300,000 web development project where we worked with the client's marketing and communications team. And, you know, we they ultimately signed off and, and we moved forward. And we had a meeting maybe a month or so into the project. And one of their counterparts from the IT team said, hey, what about the such and such? And standing in front of the room, I had to be the one to say that didn't make the final budget. But but I was also thinking, great, your coworkers, uh, you know, didn't tell you that your thing didn't make it. So now I get to be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, or alternatively, in worst cases like that, as you'll see sometimes where it's like, oh, well, then, you know, we can't support the new web project. Right. So well, we need to take care of that. Yeah. So it's always better. Just to sort of summarizing that, it's always better go back through with the customer again after they've given you an order exactly what they bought, why they bought it, and what, what you're going to be delivering and when, and start that relationship off on a, a great foot. Because there is research that's shown that you know these things stick with people. And if they're dissatisfied from day one, you know, if you've got a renewable contract or something coming up in a year, yeah, you've just reduced the odds that you're going to get a, a renewal. Definitely. All right. Well, Carl, it's been great talking with you. So tell folks how they can um, find out more about you and your agency and connect with you. Absolutely. Well, name's Carl Sakas, S-A-K-A-S. You can learn more at sakasandcompany.com. That's S-A-K-A-S-A-N-D, the word company.com. Or if you're on Twitter, you can also learn more at Carl Sakas, Carl with a K. I share all kinds of free advice about running a better business with focus on marketing agencies, including a newsletter. You can get a free copy of my ebook, Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger, Taking Clients from Painful to Profitable. And if you need help with anything, feel free to reach out. It's always a free and confidential conversation to sort out if there's a fit. Excellent. All right. Again, Carl, thank you very much. Friends, thank you for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow. Join us for another great episode of Accelerate. Until then, if you get a chance, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, maybe the app on your phone, subscribe if you haven't done so already, leave us a review. We want to hear from you about what we can do to make this a more valuable experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 